A woman was taking an afternoon nap, and when she woke up, she told her husband, I just had a dream that you gave me a diamond necklace. What do you think it means? Husband said, you'll know tonight. That evening, the man came home with a small package and gave it to his wife. Delighted, she opened it to find a book entitled, The Meaning of Dreams. That's a good one. That's a good one. One more. My wife has been complaining to me lately that I don't buy her flowers. To be honest, I didn't even know she sold flowers. I don't buy her flowers. Her okay. You guys are you guys are a little sleepy tonight. It's okay. It's okay. Have you ever had anybody tell you that church is family? I mean, I believe that, uh, that as we do collectively here at Victory Life, that church isn't an event you go to. It's a family that you get to belong to. And we've been spending a couple weeks now talking about family and church being family. And the last two weeks specifically, we've been spending time talking about things that, if not dealt with, have the potential to rob us of deep-seated connection with God and deep-seated connection with each other. You know, the family that is called the church consists of our personal relationship with God and our personal relationships with each other. That's what constitutes this, this family gathering called the church, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And over the past two weeks, we've been spending some time talking about those things, once again, that have the potential to rob us of deep-seated connection with God and with each other. And just in the means of, uh, or in the way of review here, those things over the past two weeks were, one, talking through uh, how we need to be able to get out of an orphan mentality and a poverty mentality that that can stop us from moving into a full understanding and enjoying all the benefits of what it truly means to be a child of God, a son and a daughter of God, and also what it means to receive from each other. So if you didn't get to catch that message, be sure to check out the app or the podcast channel and go back and check that out. And last week, uh, we talked about um, unforgiveness and how unforgiveness and offense can lead to breakdown in our connection with God and our connection with each other. So before we move on to what I want to talk about tonight, which is actually two things that I think need to be at the core of our relationships with God and each other, specifically our relationship with each other, if we want those relationships to remain healthy. So we've talked about things over the past two weeks that can take away from our health in regards to our relationship with God and relationship with each other. But tonight I want to talk about two things that if we'll understand them, and if we'll do a good job of implementing them, they have the ability to deepen our connection with God and our connection with each other. And specifically, I believe, preserve those things and enhance those things. So before we get there, I want to take just a minute to provide some clarity around something. When I talk about um, things that have the ability to interfere in our connection with the Lord, I want to make sure that you that you understand me and what I mean by that. I, I know that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says this, that all of this, and Paul's saying all of this, he's talking specifically about our new creation status in Christ. 
being a child of God, being born again, and all the benefits of that. Raise your hand if you believe that there are many benefits to being born again and a, and a new creation in God. Paul says all of this, our connection to God, our relationship with God, he said, is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. When I talk about things that have the potential to hinder our connection with God, I'm not talking about that there's something in our life that's able to retract or take away from what Jesus has provided us or can detract from his finished work. I, I wouldn't be so, so careless to say that. What I am saying is, is that there's certain things in our lives, namely the things I've talked about over the past two weeks, these wrong mentalities and operating offense and unforgiveness that have the ability to hurt our awareness of God and how we relate to him and our engagement with him. Not that if I'm operating in a orphan mentality or poverty mentality or I'm operating out of a place of unforgiveness, Jesus is now going to disconnect from me. How many of you know that that's not the case? Jesus is gonna stick with us no matter what. The question really remains, are we gonna stick with him? I love what uh, Eugene Peterson said about discipleship. He said, discipleship is all about sticking with Jesus. And discipleship is about paying more attention to God's righteousness and faithfulness than my own righteousness and faithfulness. That's at the core of what discipleship means and what it means to be a disciple. So when I talk about things that have the ability to hurt our connection with God, I'm not talking in any way, shape, or form about something that's gonna make Jesus give up on us. What I'm talking about is something that has the ability to make us become clouded in the lens of our heart by which we see and connect with the Father in day-to-day -day interaction and fellowship. I'm talking about things that have the potential to, to, uh, to distract our focus and also have the potential to distract our awareness and cause us to become disengaged in this thing that is called relationship or communion with God. Did that give you some clarity on what I mean by that? All right, good. So if you didn't need the clarity, that's fine. I just felt like I needed to, to tell you that. I wanna talk specifically tonight, and, and we'll see where we end up. There's, there's always a, an adventure, especially on Wednesday, to see what, what actually gets said. Uh, but I wanna talk specifically tonight about two things that I believe, if we have a proper understanding of, it can really lead to us moving into a place of health in regards to our relationship with God and our relationship with each other as brothers and sisters. And those two things are love and trust. Yeah. Love and trust. And I wanna talk about love first tonight. So before we get into it, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace. We believe that you're moving all over the world. And part of the world is Duran, Oklahoma. So we believe that you're moving here too. And we believe that what you're doing in our town and in our city, Father, is a unique and exciting work that's based upon the promises that you have for us in this season. Promises that are yes and amen in Jesus. And we're so honored and privileged that as a church, as a family, as a faith community, we get to be a part of what's going on in our city and in this part of the world. I thank you, Father, for open hearts tonight. Thank you for, for our eyes being able to, to see clearly the things that you wish to speak into our hearts and speak into our minds. And Father, I thank you that as we endeavor to continue to preserve and enhance our connection with you 
and preserve and enhance our connection with the family around us, fellow Christians that we call brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that you would, by the Holy Spirit, who's the great teacher, lead us in the way of love and lead us in the way of your truth. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen. I want to talk to you about love. I think that this is uh, one of the most misunderstood, misapplied concept in the church right now. Uh, People interpret love in all kinds of different ways. And we need to start vertically in regards to our connection with the Father. I told you that being a church and being a family of faith, that what that means is, and the sum total of this family relationship all goes back to our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Everybody okay with that? This relationship that we have with God, I think that that if we're not easy, we can fall into a trap of focusing way too much attention on how much we love God. If we're not careful, we can fall into a trap of focusing too much attention on how much we, as the individual, love God. We say things like this all the time, and I hear it from people constantly, including myself, But there's this pressure oftentimes that we feel that really is rooted in something I don't have the time to talk about tonight, which is is performance identity or performance mentality, which really has a hard time uh, connecting with grace. Um, They're not totally inseparable. They actually will complement each other. There's just one that thinks that you actually have to earn or deserve grace. And there's another that understands that grace actually does empower you to live a particular kind of life, but it's not because you ever earned it or deserved it. It was a free gift, okay? So that's as much as we can talk about for a night there. But I think a lot of times in our, in our church family and in our church world, there's a lot of emphasis placed on us needing to express or to prove individually how much we love God. And, and I think it comes from a good place. I, I really do think it comes from a place of wanting to be uh, faithful servants of the Lord Jesus. I really do think it comes from a place of us wanting to, to follow him in a lifestyle of obedience. But this is something really important for us to reflect on, especially during the Easter season. And you need to know this, that the only reason you're even capable of loving God is because he first loved you. Anytime we think that we can graduate from that place, we're in danger of living a Christian life that is not grace-empowered, but that's self-driven and rooted in self-effort. The only reason you can say today that you love God is because he made the first move in loving you. And there's kind of this, uh, now you're gonna have to track with me tonight because um, there's the nature of the talk that I'm gonna give tonight that's gonna be uh, a little bit different than, than normal because there's gonna be a lot of different moving parts And I can't promise that at the end it'll all connect. Uh, But you will know a lot more about love and you're gonna know a lot more about, what was the second thing? Trust. You're gonna know a lot more about trust, okay? So when we talk about love, here's the thing that we gotta do. If we're starting vertically, all right? If we're starting vertically and we're talking about as a healthy church family, how many of you believe that as a healthy church family, your relationship with the Father is important? I love that the Bible constantly refers to God as Father. I love that Jesus once and for all came to clear up what God was like and he called him Father. I'm so glad to hear that and know that. I'm so glad that, that Jesus is referred to our, as our elder brother. I'm so glad that he's not referred to as our, uh, as our shift manager. 
I'm so glad that he's referred to as our older brother. And I'm so glad that God's referred to as the father. He's not referred to as ultimate sky boss, chief captain of the universe. I love that. It's a beautiful thing. And if you, get, uh, if you feel like I'm getting irreverent in any of that, then go back and listen to some previous messages and uh, you'll find out that it can get a lot worse. But here's the thing that I want to be able to tell you is that there's all these familial terms used in the scripture And so oftentimes we get in our mind these work-related components that look more like being a slave on the assembly line of of the factory production that is the kingdom of God instead of learning that we're all really in on this amazing dinner party that Jesus is hosting. And, And we're supposed to be inviting other people to the banquet. So Christianity shouldn't be a drag because if it is, you're not a gospel Christian, you're a religious Christian. And if the gospel isn't good news, then I don't know what it is, and it doesn't need to be preached, but the gospel's good. That's why we believe it, in, and I believe that Christians should be some of the most joy-filled people on the planet, and I believe that joy is a superior reality to happy, because I believe that happy is based upon circumstances, but joy is rooted in the eternality of a person who's now taken up residence on the inside of me. And I can always have joy even when I'm not happy. Okay. That's good. So uh, side, side, sidetrack there. I'm going to come back to, to love. But here's the thing that we got to know about love is that this relationship vertically that we have, all right, and I know it's a bad reference because God really has taken up residence here, okay, but just work with me in this analogy for a second. This relationship that we have with God, we focus so much attention on how much we love him. When I think the only way to really grow in love for him is to receive the love that he has for us in a deeper way. And I think the only way that we really can grow in containing more love for God is receiving of his love for us. And it's a deepening kind of thing. The love of God works a deep work in us, not a wide work. Uh, The love of God works something in us that's not just about filling us with a lot more content, or a lot more uh, good preaching material, or, or a, lot, a lot more behavior modification. God's love is actually not rooted in behavior modification. It's rooted in heart transformation. God's love actually does this thing that it deepens our vessel to be able to contain that which our heart should contain which is his righteousness, peace, and joy that's all made possible by the Holy Ghost who's now living on the inside of us. That is the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And our heart should be a container for that because that's where the Holy Ghost is. And where the Holy Ghost is, the kingdom is. Everybody following me? So here's this beautiful picture is that we have to understand that the only way that we'll really be able to love God more is if we allow ourselves to constantly be, and I know this is uh, edgy terminology in, in church, and I don't mean anything bad by it, but we need to constantly be evolving, if you will. We need to constantly be growing in regards to our ability to believe how much God really loves us. Because that's the only way we'll be able to reciprocate more love for him. It's kind of the same recipe and ingredient in a healthy marriage because I'm starting with this relationship that we have with God because our relationship with God will set the tone for every other relationship in our life. And I start with the marriage because that's the next tier. Paul says that marriage is a great mystery that represents Christ and the 
church, you and I. So our relationship with God, this next tier of relationship for those of us that are married really is a marriage covenant. And there's this beautiful thing that I found in healthy marriages, in joy-filled marriages. If you talk to anybody that's in a healthy marriage, they will tell you that they didn't think it was possible to love each other any more than they did when they first got married. But they will tell you that wherever they're at in whatever number of year that they're married, if they're healthy and if it's, and if it's whole, if it's a whole marriage, if it's a healthy marriage, that they have seemed to deepen or grow in love for each other every single year. I can tell you, I can tell you truthfully today that I love my wife more at the nine going on 10 year mark that we're at than I did at year one. But at year one, I thought I loved her so much. Okay, are you following me? It's kind of like that with God. There's this initial call. There's this initial response. I call and response. We hear the gospel. We believe the good news about the kingdom. We say yes to this amazing love that God has for us. But can I get a witness that if you've been walking with the Lord a long time and if you're in a healthy whole relationship with the Lord, you get blown away every day by how much he really loves you. And you have found that you're actually able to love him more because you have found out every single day how much more he loves you than you originally thought. Are you following me? Okay, good. Enough people are nodding, so we got majority at least. Everybody else just hang on, okay? And so there's this connection with our love in regards to God, and that now bleeds out in regards to all the other relationships in our life. And this is an amazing thing that Jesus talks about because he talks about love quite a bit and he even does something really edgy and controversial and he starts trying to connect love to the way we're supposed to be with our enemies and just a lot of weird challenging things that I don't necessarily want to get all into tonight. But I do want to talk about God's understanding of love though because it's a lot different than ours. I've probably told you this before, but brace yourself, I'm going to tell you again that love... And our understanding of love for the the average human being, and I would say probably for 50 to 60% of Christians, is something that, that I like to classify that I was taught by a rabbi as fish love. Fish love. When we say that we love somebody that we're in relationship with, and to be quite honest, a lot of the times when we say that we love God, what we're really doing is we're operating something called fish love. I was taught this by a rabbi through YouTube, okay? So <clears throat> it's a really cool concept. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but it really messed with me the first time I heard it. Fish love. The rabbi's talking and he says this, is that he said, there's our idea of love in regards to the way God sees love is totally incorrect. He said, when you tell somebody you love them, it's the same way that you say you love fish. How many of you enjoy eating fish? I do. Anybody ever said, I love fish, or I love this fish that I'm eating, okay? What happens with love is that so often in our life, our love for God and our love for each other is fish love. What that means is 
that I love you the way I love fish, which means my love for you is based upon your ability to please me, your ability to be pleasant to me, your ability to meet my cravings. So much of the church is consumed with fish love. And we say that we love people that are appealing to us, that are appetizing to us, that are our flavor. They're our tribe. We love them. They speak my language. See, the thing about God's kind of love is it's a totally different understanding than our idea of love because Jesus, as I said a moment ago, goes so far to say that it's something that we're supposed to be endeavoring to have for our enemies. So it can't be fish love because anybody enjoy the taste of an enemy, the smell of an enemy? I never have. I've never said, God, I want you to send me a lot of enemies in my life. I really, every day I want a daily serving of enemy, people to slander me, people to gossip about me, people to make up stories about me. That's what slander is. People, 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 to, people to make false accusations against me, people to judge me, people to egg my car. Had it happen one time. I have forgiven, but I haven't forgotten. They egged my car. <laughs> so if Jesus says that we're supposed to operate as Christians, anybody want to be a Christian? Yeah, be careful raising your hand. He said we have to have some kind of this love for enemies. Then it can't be fish love. And it can't be love that's based upon me getting what I want all the time. No, God's kind of love is actually rooted in something that is revealed to us in John 3.16, the most famous Bible verse of all time, that God so loved the world that when God said, I love the world, he did something and he gave. God's kind of love looks like giving to somebody else's life to make it better not taking from somebody else's life to make yours better. I love Francis Chan. Anybody like Francis Chan besides me? I like him because he says controversial things. Yeah, I'm guilty of that sometimes too, huh? Yeah, I know. But I love Francis Chan. He asked this question one time. He was talking to a group of people. And he said, at some point in time, you have to ask yourself a question. Do you love, are you in love with God or are you just in love with his stuff? Now, remember, I started this off by saying that you can't grow in love for the Father until you allow yourself to rest deeper, to sink a little bit deeper into the hot tub, if you will, of how much he loves you. Because, see, that's the backwards. We hear things like that, like that Francis Chan quote, that are you really in love with God or are you just in love with his stuff? And we immediately start doing inventory to find a way to prove and validate that we really love God for the right reasons. And see, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. When we hear something like that, instead of pulling out our resume and saying, well, this is the thing that I did that proved that I love you there, and this is the time I gave in secret, and this is the time that I cooked that casserole, and this is the time that I egged Zach's car. Oh, no, that was a mistake. And this is the time that I did these kinds of things. And we, and we try to say that this proves that my love for God is valid when in actuality, the only way to grow in love for God is to stop and realize God there's no way I can love you the way you love me. There's no way I can do that. 
But the only way I can grow in love for you is to believe that you love me beyond my ability to imagine. And when I reflect on what God has done to make my life better, what he has given to me, that and in that place of seeing the level of self-sacrifice that God is willing to go to. And that's what Easter season is all about. That's what Holy Week is all about. It's reflecting on the lengths that God was willing to go to to prove his love for you. Because here's the most beautiful thing in the world. God has taken the responsibility of proving what love is supposed to be. It's my job just to believe it, receive it, and now through means of the Holy Spirit and grace, release it freely into the world. Amen. God's love is not fish love because God's love is rooted in giving. God's love is defined for us in one definition. If you want to just reduce it to a verbal or a written definition, 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 5, verses uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 5 through 8 is the place you can go to do that. You know it. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not irritable. All those things. That's a place that you can go to. uh, I said it just really fast. You didn't catch the rest of it. Um, 1 Corinthians 3. Not everybody's ear hears at the speed that I uh, talk, so that's okay. But that's a place that you can go to get a written definition of what God's kind of love looks like. I like, I think that there's a superior way to find out what God's love looks like. And I would say that God's love is never able to be reduced to three verses. God actually had to come and live a human life to express what his love looks like. And that's in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you ever want to know fully what God's love look like, looks like, you have to be able to reflect on Jesus and his life. He is the definition of God's love. And I'll say something even more controversial. Jesus is the word of God. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. All right. So here's the thing you need to know about love. Is that it's defined by Jesus. We're progressing. It's not fish love. It's defined by something. Namely, it's defined by Jesus. Jesus defines what God's kind of love is. And God's kind of love is rooted in this sacrificial giving so that other people's lives are better. But love, especially in the context of our relationships, I've talked about this relationship between us and God. Now I want to move into a place of talking about our relationships with each other. Christians, the same way that we're constantly trying to prove how much we love God, are constantly trying to prove that we really love people. Have you ever had to enforce a relational boundary in your life and had the person that's on the other side of that boundary accuse you of no longer loving them or being Christ-like. If that's ever happened to you, raise your hand. (laughs) That means you've actually tried it. Good. That means you've actually tried releasing God's love. Let me give you a round of applause. Not everybody does. That's awesome. Here's the thing that I feel is really tripping us up in the body of Christ right now. And this is where a lot of a uh, false grace teaching comes from. I'm really blessed uh, to be, I mean, I'm just incredibly blessed to be in a house to where there's such balance brought to the scripture. And, and, And that balance of grace and truth is fully taught, but it's easy to take it for granted because we're so spoiled. 
But around, but around the world and around the church world, that's not the case. There's a lot of false grace message going on right now. There's a lot of things like universalism and other things, and the list can go on and on that you know, essentially says that all dogs go to heaven. You know, that, that type of, of theology, and, uh, and, and, it's, and it's false. It's, 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 not, it's not true. It's not, it's not accurate. But here's the thing that I, need to, that I need to spend some time helping you understand is that the same way that we constantly try to prove how much we love God, most Christians are caught in a trap of trying to desperately prove how much they love people. And because of that, many people are engaging in unhealthy relationships that are coming and acting as a wedge in their ability to have that deep-seated connection I talked about in God and also the ability to just remain emotionally available to other people. You know, God has an idea of what good, decent, wholesome, healthy relationships in his body are supposed to look like. And I love it that Romans chapter one says that creation itself, the created world, how many of you believe that God created the world? How many of you believe that God created grass and water and all the different kinds of animals and everything in nature? Do you believe that God did that? Good. So there's, okay, most of you do. Awesome. That we believe that God did that. Romans chapter 1 says that the creation itself, the created world, all right, testifies of two things. God's eternal power and his divine image. And it says, so those that don't believe in him are without excuse. What that means is that you should be able to look at the created world and say, something superior to me had a hand in all of this. And do you believe that God is the one that said to the ocean, you're going to go this far on the shore and no more? Do you believe that God invented the water cycle and that and, and that water that evaporates off of larger bodies of water, lakes, oceans, really big ponds, I guess, too, but large bodies of water where it gets hot and water evaporates, that that goes up into the clouds, and then that is now returned back to the earth in rain. That's a water cycle. Do you believe that God created ecosystems? And how many of you watched Lion King before? Circle of life, right? So like the lion eats the antelope, the, the carcass now feeds or rots into the ground. Uh, that feeds the bugs. The bugs now uh, poop, and the poop's fertilizer for the plants. And then the antelope or the, the, the wildebeest, whatever, eats the plant, and then the lion eats in the circle of life. How many of you believe God did all that? How many of you believe that all those things are examples and patterns to show us of what healthy relationships are supposed to look like? You don't believe that. Okay. Uh, okay, so if Romans 1 says that God's eternal power and his divine image are clearly manifest in the things that he has made, so those that don't believe in him are without excuse, do you believe that we can look to the things that God has made and get some insight for what's healthy in our lives? Okay. Christians, in the name of love, tolerate things that nature does not. Okay. And there's a reason for that because, because what happens is, is that there's relationships that Christians engage in that ultimately have the ability to rob them of life and if they're not careful, act 
as a wedge or, or something to come in their way of having deep-seated connection with God. And one of the things that I see time and time again in the name of love is Christians giving place in their life to something I call parasitic relationships. Do you know that a parasite is something that gets its life solely from sucking the life out of something else? Do you know that religion will teach you a parasitic relationship with God? That God's sole purpose is to suck all the life and joy and blessing out of you to develop character in you and make you holy. And because so many people have been seduced by the lie of religion and it broke free in some areas, but not all, those same principles have now applied and spilled over into the things that they tolerate in relationships this way. I know, I'm going there. I probably shouldn't, but I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna try with only six minutes left. So there's no way this is gonna actually happen. I'm probably gonna have to come back and talk about that. I'm not gonna be able to make it. All right. We spend way too much time trying to prove how much we love people instead of telling people how much God loves them. Let me hit you with a truth bomb here for a moment. I know Christians that have a really hard time putting up boundaries in their life and even if need be, separating from people that are unhealthy influences in the name of love. Okay, Pastor Lee's nodding because we see this all the time. This is the bulk of what counseling is, just so you know. Is your relationship management. Because relationships are tricky. Have you figured this out yet? We all need counsel when it comes to relationship, myself included. And I submit to men like Pastor Lee to counsel me in regards to relationship. They're the most tricky thing on the planet, relationship. Because they involve somebody else besides you. You're perfect. Everybody else is the problem, right? Okay. So here's the thing that you need to know and that you need to understand is that I, I, have, seen, I have seen more people be driven by manipulation, which really, if you want to get down to it, is a form of witchcraft. I don't have time to talk about that today. But I see more people driven by manipulation in their love relationships than I do the genuine love of God. I see more people driven by guilt in relationships than I do the genuine love of God. And in the body of Christ, we have to be okay with understanding and believing that love is like fire. It's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. But can I get a witness that if I take a match and I throw it into the middle of my shag carpet in my living room, that fire no longer is a good thing. It's going to burn the house down, right? Okay, but in the name of love, people do it all the time. Fire is supposed to be within a specific boundary, a specific container. Love is a powerful thing, but I'll tell you this. Love is never supposed to move outside of a boundary called truth. In fact, when love wanted to come and actually be expressed through the life of a, of a person, Jesus Christ... It came not just as love embodied, but love embodied in truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life of Jesus was the truthfulness that God used to house his love. I know that, okay, 
We'll try that at another pass. If my love relationship with you takes me outside of the boundary of God's truth, then what's actually happened is it has stopped being God's kind of love. As soon as my love for you takes me outside of the boundary of God's truth, what occurs is a perversion. And a perversion is, is simply this. A perversion, all that it is, is the mutating or the, or the tainting, if you will, of something's original purpose or design. Do you know it's a perversion for me to take my phone and use it to open a can of green beans? Because that's not, the, that's not what this was designed to do. A can opener is designed to open a can of green beans. It's a perversion to take this phone and use it to drive nails into a wall. Is it going to do anything to my phone if I do that? Absolutely, because it's a misuse and it's, a, and it's actually being used in error against what this is designed to do. Do you know that God's love has never been designed to condone sin? But Christians use God's love to condone sin all the time because we don't know how to have healthy confrontation and healthy boundary setting in our relationships because it's just all about love. When in truth, when we're trying to minister to people that are caught in different aspects of sin, we think that God's love alone is going to be the thing that sets them free when the scripture is actually pretty clear that it's the truth that sets us free. It doesn't mean that God's love doesn't need to be present because you know it's possible to just speak truth with no love at all. We're actually supposed to be engaged in speaking the truth in love, not just loving to tell the truth. But so oftentimes what happens is, is that love in our lives moves outside of the boundary of God's truth and what ends up happening are things like parasitic relationships. What ends up happening is us enabling codependent behaviors in people's lives instead of setting up a boundary which has the ability to be a blessing to lead them into a place of freedom. Okay, this is a side note, but do you know the most beautiful thing that you can do if you're dealing or ministering to somebody that has lived a life of codependency? Codependency is just totally relying on somebody else, a natural flawed human being to be your everything. It's a major problem. I don't advise codependency with God. I advise complete dependency on God. All right. But I do warn against codependency with flawed human beings, okay? Everybody's perfect in their spirit, but can I get a witness? Everybody's messed up in their soul and their body at some level. I used to struggle with that because in, in, in early on in my walk with the Lord, I remember the Lord constantly prompting me to give, to give him all my love and to give him all of my trust, which I'm clearly not gonna have time to talk about today, trust. But to give all of it to him. I used to struggle with that because I would always think to myself in the back of my mind, like, is God like, like have like the insecure, like teenage girlfriend mentality? Like he needs all my attention, all my love, all my focus. I got to talk to him every single day. In the back of my mind, I was suspicious of him because his heart had yet to be revealed to me. You will always be suspicious of the thing God tells you until his heart's revealed to you. And I warred with it. I was like, God, why do you need all of it? All my love, all my trust. 
You've already got everything. You surely don't need anything. And that's when he started talking to me. And I didn't have verbiage for this at the time because I hadn't met the YouTube rabbi yet. But the difference between real love and fish love. See, he said, no, no, no. He said, I really love you. And I was like, okay, I love you too. He said, but no, here's the thing. I'm asking for all of your love and all of your trust. He said, because you don't know how valuable it is. And he finally told me one day, he said, the reason I ask for all of your love, the reason I ask for all of your life, why I want all of your life to be mine, is not because I'm insecure. It's not because I'm a parasite. It's not because I am an insecure teenage girl. Teenage boys are just as insecure. I'll be an equal opportunist, okay? We really need fathers to step in the culture, I can be honest with you, because we got more teenage boys acting like girls than I've ever seen in my entire life. Rabbit trail. He said, you don't know how valuable your life is. You don't know how valuable your love is. He said, the reason I ask for all of it, because something that valuable is only really safe with me. And he said, you've spent your entire life living this romanticized idea that you're going to get married one day and give that person all of your love and all of your life. And this person is going to be the one to make you feel all the things that you're supposed to feel. <laughs> Nobody can offend you, frustrate you, and make you lose Christian virtue like your spouse. Let's just be real in God's house. That's the truth. But if we think in any way, shape, or form that that has the ability to contaminate God's love for our spouse, we're crazy. Because at the end of the day, the only way that that relationship is healthy is when both people are giving each other the same love they're getting from God. See, people don't know what their source is. And if you're not careful, people will try to make you it. Oh, yeah. And when you put your foot down and say, I can no longer be your source, they will hocus pocus you with their manipulation witchcraft. And they will tell you, well, if you were a real Christian, you'd still be there for me. And if you really love Jesus, and I see you sitting toward the front row at church, but you're not the real deal because if you were, you would have done this, 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 and this. Let me tell you something. As soon as somebody crosses that line, I can immediately tell you what spirit they're of because everything I just said was an accusation, and there's only one person that's the accuser of the brethren. And I can tell you... I can tell you very plainly that at that point in time, you need to make a decision and your decision is you need to turn up your love another two notches and you need to say, you know what? I love you and I stand by my decision to set the boundary. Because newsflash, you're just reminding me of why I really need to set one. It's not love for you to enable people by allowing you to remain their source. Everybody look at me. You are nobody's source. Amen. 
if you're somebody's source, the person that has made that choice to make you their source, they're in real trouble because you have an expiration date. I don't know if you know this or not, but unless Jesus comes back before you die, you're going to die. Is everybody okay with that? They say you're going to die today. Calm down. But you're going to die. The problem with letting you be somebody else's source is that you're setting up somebody else for complete and total emotional bankruptcy. Our job in any relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a friendship, any relationship within and underneath the covering of our relationship with God, church family, nuclear family, we constantly have to be working on driving the people around us and letting the people around us drive us to deep-seated connection with the Father. Because he's the only one that can be our source. So, what's one of the ingredients for a healthy church family, which consists of our relationship with God and our relationship with each other? It's a proper understanding of love and who the source of love is. All right, I gotta stop now. Okay, that's it for today. Let's pray. I'll come back and talk about trust if you want me to. Okay, amen. Let's pray. Ministry team, why don't you come? I was praying for you earlier this morning and I asked the Lord, I said, what do you want me to tell your people tonight? I, I remind him often that you're his, not mine. What do you want me to tell your people tonight? And he just showed me a picture. And Jesus was out in this field and it was just, I mean, the most cleared piece of land I've ever seen. Beautiful, you know, grass. And it just seemed like it went on and on and on. And there was mountain, you know, in the distance and forest in the distance. But it was just this wide open space. You know, perfect light, you know, just enough light, it was like sunset, but there was just enough light that you could still see everything, you know what I'm talking about? It was, it was beautiful. And he said, I just want you to remind everybody that it's an open space that I've called them to live in. An open space. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This is what I wanna do. If there's an area of your life that has made the space that God's called you to inhabit feel claustrophobic. I've got news for you. God's not in it. God's not in it. If there's a space in your walk with God that has become claustrophobic, God's not in it, but he wants to do something about it. It could be the need for you to reassess some boundaries in a relationship that has become unhealthy. It may be the need for you to allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind in regards to your love for God. It may be an area of your life where you've allowed a lie 
from a yoke of religion. Could be years ago, but for whatever reason, this hook of religion has found its way into this free place in God that you're supposed to live in. And I don't think this word needs to make sense for a lot of people. I only actually need to make sense for one person for it to be worth giving. But if that's you and that word bears witness with you and that just is like a nail on the head of what you've been going through, I want you just to open up your hands like you're gonna receive a present. Father, you see people with open hands tonight. And God, my prayer is that in this moment, you would encounter them with your love, that they would lay down the need to prove how much they love you or prove how much they love people. And for just a moment, you would give them that picture of how open the space is that you've called them to inhabit. There it is. Thank you, Jesus. Freedom, God. I pray that they would be empowered tonight, Lord. Empowered tonight to be able to see things from your perspective. And empowered tonight to be able to know that your love, your love, God, is their source. Where they've been boxed in in any area, Father, I call forth an unboxing tonight in Jesus' name. Whether it's a boxing in of you, a boxing in of a relationship, anything that's come to try to put a cap, Father, on their ability to deepen I thank you, Lord, for just a fresh baptism of your love tonight. And that, Lord, they would be wooed into a place of surrender, of trust, because of your goodness. In Jesus' name, man. Somebody loves Jesus, say amen.